Hey everyone, welcome to Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast meant to strengthen our personal connections with Jesus Christ, as well as deepen our appreciation for His role in our Heavenly Father's universal plan of salvation. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is here with me. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into uh, let's get into this week's scripture block. Hey everybody, welcome back to Take a Second for Come Follow Me. I'm Brother Ricks, Brother Black, and we're going to talk about. This is always tricky because it's just so <laughs> much easier. down somewhere. Matthew 9 and 10. Uh-huh. Mark 5. Yeah. Luke 9. 9. Okay. Yeah. It's always tr- It's so much easier. But when we get to Acts, it'll be way easier yeah, to keep track. Start going you through. Just, yep. And our thumbnails on YouTube can be way shorter. And the <laughs> titles can be shorter. That's right. Um, so I, this is – it's hard for me to get excited about anything when the woman with the issue of blood is – in it i i that's my favorite i just want to go i there. love it i i do so i want to jump to mark five because mark five is my favorite account um for a couple reasons number one the account in matthew i feel like is is matthew kind of skims over it it's not there's not as much detail there so i think the mark and the luke account are the two are the better of the counts and mark is my favorite for a couple of reasons um but but in order to understand the woman with the issue of blood you've got to understand what's happening the context that he's already on his way to do something else and it always reminds me of a story that's probably not true but worth retelling you know that's, there's a lot of like a lot of stories yeah uh but there's there is this wives tale or latter-day saint myth about um a byu teacher religion professor who's chewing the new testament they've spent the entire semester on the gospels and uh it's time for the for the final and he has prepped the students with how arduous and how difficult and how it was going to take all of your three hours to finish this final. And so when all of the students get there, um, they find a, a note on the door that says, hey, the final's been moved across campus. Have you heard this story? Yeah, uh-huh. um, and and so everybody hustles across campus. Well, one student in particular shows up about 15 minutes late, already stressed because he was told it was going to take all three hours. Now he only has two hours and 45 minutes. And so he gets there. Now he's super flustered. And on his way across campus to the new testing center, you know, he comes across an individual with a flat tire. He comes across an individual who spilled their books all over the, you know, and, and there's just several of those, you know, almost good Samaritan type situations or opportunities. opportunities yeah. And, uh, and, and, but he bypasses them to show up and he, and he finally gets into the, into the testing room uh, where it's been moved to and the professor announces you've all failed the final and the final was did you act like jesus or not mm-hmm. and to me anytime i think of the woman with the issue of blood this is the that's that story comes to mind because the story of the woman with, with the issue of blood starts uh in verse 22 behold there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue jairus by name who, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and she may and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And so you've got a group of people who are following Jesus through the streets because they know, they've overheard what Jairus has asked them to do, and they're excited to see another miracle. Mm-hmm. So you've got a group of people, and they know, and there's a sense of urgency. Like, we've got to get there. She's on the point of death. And so it's it's in the middle of that urgent trip that the woman with the issue of blood is is placed, and it with that context it makes it I think it it makes the Savior's willingness to pause uh, even more uh, impressive, and I think even more instructive for us. 
because, and then, and then there are some issues. Verse 25, a certain woman had an issue of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things, many physicians, and had spent all that she had and nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. And so here's this lady who she's, she's spent all she has. And I, I know most of the photos, most of the paintings, and mo even the videos that are out, the image that's portrayed is this old woman. I, in my head, for whatever reason, reading the story, I actually think of somewhat a very different story in my head, or at least a different character. I picture someone who is rather young, probably in her early 20s. Um, I think this is someone who shortly after her, her menstrual cycle started, she started hemorrhaging. And it just never really stopped. Contextually, that creates a situation that's socially and religiously limiting and, and even, you'd say, condemning to her she she would be considered according to the the levitical law she's unclean and anyone that touches her is unclean and she has to stay inside away from everyone else until the bleeding stops and then she can go through that purification process but for her the bleeding never stops so this is someone who's she can't go to synagogue she can't go on dates she can't be courted and so when it says that she has spent all it's probably not just all of her money. It's probably all of her dad's money. I mean, the whole purpose of, of life for a young woman in Jerusalem at this time or in this in Judah was to have a family. Like she is I, she is one of these great, you know, was it which apostle was it that pointed out? Was it President Ballard or Elder, Elder Anderson that pointed out for the first time in the church we have more singles in the church than we no. do? Then we do married couples, yeah. that our, our number of, of single, whether that's widowed or divorced or never married, mm -hmm. is now over 50% of the membership of the church. And his talk has made me think, like, what would it be like to sit in a church where we focus so heavily on family and the joy that comes from family? What a difficult situation that could be for some. Yeah. Um, similarly, family, you know, couples that can't have kids. And, and so, and I think that's kind of the the today's comparison that's the woman with the issue of blood speaks to individuals in those settings in no, or in those situations where for whatever reason life has denied you something that is at the core the center of the gospel and where when quite frankly everywhere you go in the church what you don't have is thrust upon you and is and is a huge contrast for you and so, yeah, it makes sense to me that they would have spent everything they had and that they would have tried everything. And they would have probably started with the most, you know, standard, most well-respected physician, probably down to then getting into some of the witch doctors and crazy, crazy. things. Well, and, and you bring that up. In, in 26, it says she suffered many things of many physicians. Not only was she suffering initially, but then the help that she was seeking was not being given to her, provided to her. And, and you don't have to go back super long before you realize that you know our our medicinal practices have changed a lot over the last couple hundred years so imagine 2000 years ago i was uh, just president's day was a little while ago and i just did some research about george washington this is not that relevant but it's thought that uh, so he died of a of a throat infection something that antibiotics would have cured mm -hmm. and uh, it's thought that doctors may have let out 40% of his blood before he died trying to fix it trying to fix him that's the Alvin Smith story, right? Mm -hmm. Alvin Smith yeah. is actually – he actually gets sick, but what kills him is the cure. Mm -hmm. um, but but I, I love yeah. – well, you keep going. I, I was just going to say James Talmadge dies of strep throat, um, and and part of it is because 
there's no penicillin. Penicillin actually comes along a year after James Talmadge dies, but he gets strep throat and he lets it run its course because that was what you did with sore throats then. So he went and he got a root beer because the carbonation would kind of soothe it. Yeah. But it it ran its course and like strep throat can do if you let it run its course too many times, it turns into rheumatoid fever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it, it, and it and it causes it induces a essentially a heart you, you die because of a heart problem, heart failure. So I back to her, you know, you Well, just one one other thought here before you keep going past 26. This idea then that um, this lady has turned to the world, mm-hmm. and the world, what did it do to her? It took everything and gave her nothing. Yep. And and for me, that that is like one of those, what are you learning about Jesus through this story, and what are you learning about the world through the story? And you often have this comparison, and we you know we clump the world into the thing, but you, you know sometimes it's society or sometimes it's things that are being pushed upon you. But I love that idea that in the story, Jesus is about to give her everything that she wants. Mm-hmm. And the world just took everything that she had. And, and it reminds me to a certain extent of, of the prodigal son, that the world takes everything from that young man. And it doesn't give him anything back in return. It's always robbing and never giving. And depending on where we're seeking for help or in the middle of our suffering, if we look to everything else and forget God, we're going to be robbed. We're going to miss out on really what we can have. And, and I'm not talking medicinally or anything. Elder, Elder Holland a few years ago talked about uh, mental illness, and he said, mm-hmm. you know, if you had appendicitis, we'd expect you to priesthood blessing and go to the doctor. Yes. Do both. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing here. But what we're talking about is the bigger principle or a spiritual principle behind it that the world takes and Jesus gives. And, and I think that there's something Brigham Young talks about with the same principle that the Lord expects you to use what is there. Yeah, and so, yeah. so you use the, the, the professional help as well as the ecclesiastical help. Um, and I, and I think part of this, you see this with her, you see this woman who, because, and, and maybe it's just a natural course of things. Maybe we all have to learn this woman's lesson in that is that the world can't offer you what you need the very most. And, you know, one of the criticisms, uh, one of Isaiah's criticisms of Israel is, You've turned to the east. You, you, you've turned to the east. You've gone to the soothsayers and the witches, doctors, the yeah. Philistines. You, you've gone to all of these worldly ways of trying to get revelation. Wizards that peep and mutter. And yeah. you've you've ignored Jehovah. Yeah. And and in this woman's defense, I don't know that you know it's been twelve years and Jesus hasn't been ministering for twelve years, and maybe this is her first chance to get there. For so maybe another another spin on that for this woman's case is is look, do everything you can. But don't ignore the Savior, because if she doesn't, if if 27 doesn't happen, she remains in that situation. And I think all of us have that, all of us find ourselves in that situation that at some point we're going to find that what we want the most, the world can't provide. We have to go find Jesus. And, I, and one of the things I love about these two stories in context is you have, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, <laughs> You have the Savior seeking out the daughter of Jairus, but you have the woman with the issue of blood seeking him. And and just like uh, just like the birth of Christ, you've got Jesus. Jesus went to Anna and Simeon, but the wise men had to come find him. And and some of us we're in a position where, quite frankly, whether that's because of our family situation or our geographic situation, I think about the uh, those men and women in Africa before 1978 who desperately wanted the gospel, but all they could do was wait for it to come. And send some pamphlets wait for, over. Yep, yeah. and, and, and wait for that revelation in June of, of 1978. 
Some of us are in that situation where all we can do is wait. Others of us, like the one with the issue of blood, we need to get out and go, even in the face of social stigma. Because if she goes outside, she's, she's unclean. Um, I've heard some speculation that maybe she was a Greek woman because she, she was, she did feel free to go out. I, I actually don't. I, I think she's a Jewish girl. I think she's a Jewish girl who went out into society regardless of the consequences to find Jesus. I think it speaks to her personal sacrifice and what she was willing to endure with the hope and faith in Christ that he would heal her. Um, so 27, when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. Luke is the one that points out that it's the – Luke and Matthew both, I think, point out that it's hem. The, the hem. Um, and this idea that that would have been a reminder because of the color and because of where it was located and, and its role on, the, on a man's robe, that it would have been connected to the power, uh, the, the power of God, the priesthood uh, authority. And so she touches that, and she has decided I, – I think it's fascinating for all of the – for all of the people who have come to Jesus and said, will you make me whole? She kind of decides, I'm going to do this, and it's going to heal me. And kind of cool, kind of a cool example of utilizing my agency. I'm, I'm going to decide how Jesus is going to heal me. And fascinating to me that Jesus honors her agency. That's how you want to be healed? Recognizes Fine. faith. Because he could have, I mean, she could have come to him and said, if you will, heal me. But maybe this is a little bit of evidence of the fact that she's still trying to kind of hide and keep it quiet. Um, and then verse 29, straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Uh, someone who was constantly hemorrhaging would have been anemic, would have had you know no energy, would have spent their life essentially always sleepy and drowsy and uh, lethargic. And I find it fascinating. You see this over and over again with the miracles of Jesus Christ. That when He heals someone of someone, of, when He heals someone of something, it's not just the thing that is fixed right away, but all of its consequences or symptoms. Um, later on, there's going to be the man that was born unable to walk. Jesus is going to heal him, and immediately strength goes to his ankle bones and to his legs, and he's jumping around. Mm. I don't know if any if you've ever had a cast on or have had to limit the use. You don't of, start jumping. <laughs> you don't start jumping right away. Um, but everything, she, the strength returns to her body immediately, and then Jesus stops and says, "Who touched me?" And the other accounts tell us that it was it's Peter who says, uh, "Everyone is touching lots. you." <laughs> the answer is um, lots. And Jacob says, no, I felt power go out of me. I felt vir – in here, Mark uses the word virtue. It's the idea of power. Um, I think it's a Greek word. Dynamis. 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 My son is, tr is trying to learn how to say Iowa. At 19, he should know how to say it. He says <laughs> Iowa. And it is – so whether it's dynamis or dynamis. It has that principle. Yeah. It's dynamic. It's change. It's, yep, it's, it's power. power. Yes. Um, and then the Savior goes to find her, and I found this interesting with regard to the question last week about what do you learn about Jesus. There's something – Christ could have kept walking. She was healed. She got what she wanted, but there's something else that takes place. And one of – as far as teaching ideas, this is one place where I would drop anchor, and I would just ask my family or my students, like, why did he stop and look for her? Why did he require her to come to the front? A place where she doesn't want to be. She wants to be anonymous. She wants to – this is how she wanted it. 
So on the one hand, he honors her agency and lets her be healed the way she wants to, but then he doesn't let her stay in anonymity. And why is that? Um, and I, 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 that I think there's potential for a really awesome conversation as you let you know people in your class or in your family chime in about what is accomplished in the next few verses. In verse 33, the woman fearing and trembling knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And then verse 34, he said in her daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And I, I have my own ideas about why that was significant for her, but I, so as to not sully the, the conversations that you'll have with your own families, I, that's, I would invite you to just read that part of the story and go back and look at those three or four verses and say, why? What is, what is Jesus doing here? What is he accomplishing with this young woman? Or this old woman, however she, where you know, wherever she's at in life, but what's the purpose here? Because it costs time, and and he was on his way to do something really important, but he still stopped. Yeah. So, and and with that thought, I I just had the thought as you were talking. Uh, you know, what are you learning? And I've always kind of compared. Okay, you have Jairus's daughter on this side, and then you have this woman right here, and it's like, okay, well, it's this, then it's this, and at the same time, Jesus is doing the same thing. He's seeking the one. Mm -hmm. He's, and I loved your question that you asked, Brian. That, um, why does he invite her there? He's seeking the one. Who touched me? He's seeking the one. Where, where is he going right now? He's seeking the one. He's in the middle of finding the one, and still finds time to find another, another one. one. Yes, and. And uh, Elder Gong, a few years ago, he gave some training to seminary and institute teachers. He said, Jesus fed 5,000 and the one at the same time. And I love that principle that uh, Elder Bednar has repeated similar ideas that when you're speaking in sacrament meeting, you're not speaking to 300 people or 200 people. You're speaking to 200 ones. Mm -hmm. And you're not teaching a class of 30. And you're not teaching a family of seven. But you're teaching the one through that, all of those instances. And Jesus is the, the perfect example of doing that, that there's times in, in his words and in his, his miracles that he's definitely just finding the one and doing the thing for the one, but at the same time, everyone is blessed by mm -hmm. that same thing. I I think of, uh, I can't remember if we've mentioned it on this or not. I know I've mentioned it to you that um, I get tunnel vision for stuff. When I start working on things uh -huh. or I get like a something in my mind or a task to do, and I, I see it at church, um, I just start walking down the hallway and it's like, I got to go find this person. And I go like, find that person. I probably walk by 20 other people that I probably should stop and chat to for just a second. How are you? How's the baby? How are things? And, but I've got this tunnel vision of, nope, my next thing is this. I, I would, as a, just a mortal person, I would have walked by this lady and I've been like, Oh, I, let's see if I can have back. Can you get on the schedule later on? You know, you try to, you try and do all of those other things, but I, that, the way that Jesus, all the time works of, of everything is he's always finding the one. And what a great question to feel like or to ask, when have you felt like Jesus saw you when nobody else did? When you felt like you didn't connect to anybody else? And, and I love that you brought up the context of this, that this lady is so cast out by society and she, ha she has her place with the Savior. That, that, just one other little thought about this. Um, you mentioned that she's unclean. Mm-hmm. And so anybody she touches is unclean. And I, I don't know exactly. I'll give you my little two cents, and you probably you smiled, so you're like you've thought this. I've thought too. about this. Yep. I love that when Jesus touches lepers, and when Jesus touches women with issue of blood, and and any other instance that they are fixed. 
they are healed. They are cleansing those men. He doesn't go the other way. In the moment that those lepers, that he picks them up and that infirm person is broken or that this lady touches his clothes, she is no longer broken. And he brings him up to his level. And I love that Jesus does that for us. It's never just you, you stay broken. And it's he's always picking people up. He's always helping them and helping them rise above whatever situation they're in. So here's the, my reason for the smile, because I've wondered this a lot. And I you see it often, especially with lepers, where there's a ritualistic cleansing that takes place or a, a reporting to the priest and the having priest, them yeah. declare you clean. In a situation like this where someone who was unclean touches you, there is also a, a cleansing that goes through the, that person. And I've wondered from this and the lepers, especially where he lays his hands on their head, does he go to the priests? I don't know. The law of Moses I, I, hasn't been right, fulfilled yet. Right. I hear, and and I, I've not found a there's, – there's not a single – instance in the scriptures where it says he does and i don't know if he does or not um but i i wonder if he does i mean great it's a it's, I, a, I, it's an interesting thought um, and, and i love that idea then that by the time he's touching them they're better mm -hmm. yep that they're not unclean and and i think there's this idea we talked last week about judging and judging situations versus yeah. persons yeah um to me, the way the Savior handles these people who socially had become unclean, and a, and a young woman like this who would have been unclean for 12 years, I mean, she's just – that's just who she is now. And not only in the eyes of everyone else, but even in her eyes. Look at the way she acts in public. She's become this sickness. But in the Savior's eyes, it's a situation. It's temporary. Yeah. In, in every one of these, even – you know, hey, okay, we've fixed the problem. Now go to the priest and do what the law commands because the same reason I got baptized, let's, let's be obedient to the law. But there's not ever a, a recoiling or a, these people are never treated as though this is who they are or this isn't their label. Yeah. Um, President Oaks and President Nelson both have talked about the most important labels we carry in life. And, and it's just easy for us to become the woman with the issue of blood. Even in our scriptures, that's her name. That's how we know her. The woman caught in adultery, mm -hmm. and and yet the Savior is able to look past all of those. And lo notice what he says to her in verse 34. What he calls her. The first thing he says to her when she comes up, daughter. And and I love uh, – one of the commentaries I read pointed out, you know, obviously there's not a parental relationship here. But what a cool way to express ownership and belonging and, like, not just friend or not just, hey, how are – sister – but there's this familial connection that that makes her feel accepted. And don't you love that when Jesus says I, he felt that virtue had gone out of him or power or strength had gone out of him? Well, where did it go? It went into, it went her. into her. She, therefore, has some of that inside has of her been, now. Yep. She has some of that power. Yeah. Uh, so we, we better keep going yeah, here with Jairus, gonna, but, yep. but it says uh, while he while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue. Now, by the way, sometimes when you read the New Testament, we paint like all Jews are bad. Yes, and all rulers are bad. all rulers all are bad. Synagogue. This is this is an example of a very good man. Yes, right, uh, and, and that's just a just a quick thought there. But uh, he says, "Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further?" As soon as Jesus heard the heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, "Those beautiful five words." Be not afraid, only believe. Um, we probably I won't tell the whole story now, but 
those those five words propelled President Hinckley into the mission field. Mm -hmm. That his dad had those words crumpled onto a note and handed it to him as he boarded the train. Mm -hmm. And uh, just hang in there. And I love the next part of the story. It says he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John. Um, he he keeps those guys just just together. And I love that Jesus is like removing the doubt. Because by the the next part of the story, he comes in, he says, no, she's sleeping. And everybody laughs. He's like, all right, you all leave now. He, he, in this situation, is removing anybody who is going to limit the amount of faith in this in this opportunity for faith to be present. He says, if you don't believe, step out for a minute. Mm -hmm. You'll have your opportunity. She's going to come out, and she's yep. going to walk out, and she's going to talk to you, and you're all going to see, all gonna see it. Mm -hmm. So he's not dismissing them all, but he says, in this moment of, of miracle and of goodness, we want faith, and we want faith to be present. There is something that is powerful when you can surround yourself by faithful people. Yeah. That Jesus does the same thing here, that he keeps going. I'm sure that that Jairus is staying here the whole time thinking, like, I'll believe. If you're telling me to be not afraid, only believe, I'm there. I am all in. The other rulers of the synagogue, they are all in. Peter, James, and John are now about to witness an incredible miracle because of their faith as well. And I, that faith plays such a role in all of these miracles, and the, the handling of Jesus is incredible. And I think part of that speaks to some of the issues that we find today about people who – who want to doubt until they can believe, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. This is a, this is one of those examples where the Savior is saying, no, no, no. If you want to see, you have to believe. This is the Moroni principle from Ether 12, right? Or yeah, Ether 12. Yeah. It, it, faith comes first, and so unfortunately, I remember um, Jack Christensen a long time ago saying, if you want Joseph Smith experiences, like First Grove, Kirtland Temple, not. If you want Joseph Smith experiences, you've got to have Joseph Smith faith, which means sometimes you've got to go through Joseph Smith experiences without losing faith and without becoming doubtful or cynical or anything else. And and un, and Elder Christofferson put it this way. He said, you know, when you come across something that is unsettling, don't stop in the path. You know, you come to this death of this little girl. Don't don't lose confidence now. Because the response or the, the, the resolution of what's troubling you might be just a few steps ahead of you in the path in, in the in the covenant path. So keep going. And Peter, James, and John get to see this incredible thing because of their faith. Mom and dad get to see this incredible thing with their daughter because they didn't stop believing. Yeah. What was the I don't, I don't recall the woman's name, the first one who's swimming across the English Channel. That first time that she almost gets there, she's like two hundred yards from yeah. shore and she bails. It's foggy. She can't, she can't see. see the shore. And so there was like a boat that was like, all right, if you get tired or whatever. We'll, and she's like, bring me in. And so they go over there. She gets in the boat, and then they row 200 yards. And she's like, oh, I was 200 yards from the shore. I almost did it. Like, what was I thinking? And um, I think she ends up actually doing it she another does, time yep. mm -hmm. uh, next year or something mm -hmm. like that. But I, I love your point here uh, that don't quit, that, that you've gone this far already. Don't stop. Don't don't let your faith be like, oh, well, I, I only wanted him when I knew he could save him earlier, but now I don't. But when I, I really feel like the Savior invites us all the time, don't be afraid, only believe. It it is going to turn out okay. I don't perfectly. I don't know any situation in Jesus with the Savior where it doesn't turn out perfectly. At mm -hmm. the end it just does. And how easy for Jairus to say if you hadn't stopped. You know, if you hadn't, if you hadn't, 
she was already like how easy for him to criticize the way Jesus did it because of how it looked like it was going to turn out partway through. Mm-hmm. Don't leave the movie too soon because even when it looks the most hopeless is that's you know I part of I think Jesus's pause. I think there is definitely what's going on with uh the woman with the issue of blood. But I think also if we remember, you know, John chapter 11 coming up here in a little bit with Lazarus, Jesus waits intentionally. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I've got to, I'm going to let this unfold so that the way God, not just what God wants to happen, but the way and the timing of what God wants to happen is accomplished as well. And so there's, it, it's very possible that the pause, not only when you talk about serving two ones at a time, He's accomplishing multiple things. Yes, with the woman with the issue of blood, but also with the daughter of Jairus. Like, I'm letting that unfold so that the manner and the timing can be accomplished according to God's will. I, I would say that one of the things for me so far in this study of the New Testament is that it's being reinforced to me that Jesus is intentional. Mm-hmm. That his decisions and where he goes and who he stops and speaks with and the miracles that he performs, everything is has intention. And there's always a reason and people and things that it blesses that he's able to reach out to. Um, I, I just have maybe one final thought. It's over in Matthew. Um, when uh, Jesus is, he gets accused by a lot of other rulers who aren't as good as yeah. <laughs> Jairus or, or the, on other, the other side of the spectrum from Jairus. Some are bad, Jesus, yeah. right? Um, but he's, he's eating, and, and this is uh, Matthew 9, uh, this is verse 10 came to pass as Jesus sat down, uh, sat at meat in the house, the old many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. I love that those two are always clumped together. He's always like, tax people and sinners. It, sinners. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I feel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Accountants. I just, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. And I love that the use of the word physician, especially where we started today, talking about the physicians that the woman with the issue of blood had visited, that Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm the real physician. And when you're sick, I know that you need me. These people need me. Um, I saw a meme once, and uh, it was being mad that sinners are at church is like being mad that uh, fat people are at the gym. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just like, just it, it's it's okay. That's where they're supposed to be. Um, and, and then in the next verse, he says, but go and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And it's a reference to Hosea 6.6. 6. And he says, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that idea that it, that verse in Hosea can also be linked to 1 Samuel 15, where Saul says, well, I did sacrifice. Samuel's like, I know, but you didn't obey me. Like, I needed you to obey me, not sacrifice. Like, this is not the time. And that, that's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is that one. But this idea that that Jesus has mercy, and it says that he doesn't sacrifice. But I think what he's really trying to say is he doesn't have to sacrifice who he spends time with. He's building up all of these people. Are these people, by the end of their experience with Jesus, are they still going to be the same sinners they were before? Mm-hmm. I really don't think so. People who interact with Jesus, whatever Jesus lays his hands on, lives. If he lays his hand on people, they live. If he lays his hand on a marriage, it lives. On a relationship, whatever it is, that Jesus 
who he spends time with, they are always bettered by that. And so that idea of he is the great healer. He is truly our master physician. And all of us in some ways are sick, and that's why he's always inviting us to come. And in drawing this comparison, I don't know that I've ever juxtaposed these two things right next to each other like this, but man, isn't there an interesting connection to the one with the issue of blood who's gone to those that were supposed to heal her? Then you've got these sinners and these publicans, those that the, the Pharisees should have been their healers. Like they weren't. The they were the sick, world people. Yeah. The spiritually sick should have been able to turn to the Pharisees and their and their religious leaders for the strength and the healing they needed. But the Pharisees had rejected them. The Pharisees had cast them off. And, and spiritually speaking, they were worse off after the way the Pharisees had treated them than they were in the beginning. And so uh, what it, I, I'd never thought about that until, until just now. And what a great thought then. This is their moment of reaching out and touching the Savior's, the hem of the his hem robe. Of his robe, yeah. I just want to, uh, one, one thing from chapter 10. Um, just verse 1, he called unto him his 12 disciples. He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Uh, and, and there's this, certainly this involves a priesthood authority, um, probably ordina ordination to the, call, to the office of an apostle. Um, but I love in the manual, in the Come Follow Me manual this week, it, it references, in fact, it gives you an opportunity. It has this great chart set up that you could do with in a, in a class or with a family uh, about Jesus gives power to the apostles to uh, cast out unclean spirits, heal, you know, list what it is that he gives them power to do because that's their assignment or that's their role in the kingdom. Spend some time with your class or your family saying, okay, what's your role? With your 16-year-old, with your 17-year-old daughter, what's your role in the kingdom right now? Where's your, what's, your, what's, what's your stewardship or where's your responsibilities? And how does Jesus give you power to accomplish those things? And power doesn't always come through the laying on of hands. It doesn't always come through a priesthood ordination to an office. Um, one of maybe... I, I think one of the greatest misconceptions is that the only way to access God's power is through the priesthood um, or through a priesthood ordination. That, that the power of God is accessed through prayer, through fasting, through scripture study. We all access God's power in very different ways. And depending on our roles and our assignments and the different things that we've been asked to do in the kingdom of God, God has different ways of giving us his power to accomplish his purposes. But what a cool way to, to, to say, it, just as the apostles received power in their sphere, I receive power in my sphere. Now, how is that? Like, if I start with, the, with that faithful attitude, of God's going to give me power. I just am not sure how. <laughs> how is to accomplish what, I, what I've been asked to do, whether that's a ministering assignment, whether that's a, as a mom or a dad, a single parent, uh, whatever situation I've been placed in, um, we've been promised that God will either, you know, especially undesirable situations, God will either take it away from us or he'll give us the, the strength to carry through. You know, Elder Bednar's great principle. And the idea is if you've been put in a situation within God's kingdom as a parent or a member of the church or whatever that situation might be, there's power that's going to come into your life. How is it getting there? What are you doing to, to connect to that? Yeah. And once you have it, it was freely given to you, freely given. Yep. Yeah, and and so verse six, go gather the lost sheep, right, and go preach and go heal the sick, and because I didn't give you this 
I didn't give you this just to keep it so that you could go sit at home and sit it on a mantle and be like, look at what I got. Uh, As soon as they get the power, Jesus says, I want you to go use it. And so the same for us. So, So go on, share it. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Have a good day. Ciao, ciao. Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and in our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you so thanks again for joining us on take a second and we will see you in our next episode <laughs>